I change in my relationship, it is physically impossible for the relationships to stay the same, right? You can imagine a relationship is like people on two ends of an energetic string or an energetic seesaw. If I go up in my energetic value, my self-love, let's call it, as my weight changes, of course it's gonna change the structure and, and the function of the relationship. Our guest today is Julia Deganji, and she's a neuropsychologist who completed her clinical training at a consortium of Harvard Medical School, Boston University School of Medicine, and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs at VA Boston. She has nearly two decades of experience studying the connection between our brains and our behavior. And Dr. Deganji has worked with leaders at the White House Press Office, global companies, international NGOs, and the U.S. Special Forces. Her understanding of stress, trauma, and resilience is also informed by her work in international development and humanitarian aid, where she serves some of the world's most vulnerable communities. She is the founder of NeuroHealth Partners, a neuropsychology-based consultancy. And Dr. Jaganji also shows people at work and at home how to harness the power of the brain to lead more satisfying and emotionally intelligent lives. You can connect with Julia Deganji at drjuliadeganji.com. And now a word from one of our sponsors. So imagine a world where we don't actually fight cancer. We just tell our bodies to stop growing it. Sounds groundbreaking, right? Dr. Dana Flavin, who's a world-renowned cancer specialist for over 40 years, warns we are swimming in toxins. They're in our daily products, our food, water, and air. The real danger, these toxins signal our body to grow cancer. That's why I urge you to join Dr. Flavin and Nathan Crean, an award-winning health researcher in an eye-opening web class. They'll reveal the nine key toxins that could be triggering cancer in your body, and most importantly, how to eliminate them. Don't just fight cancer, go right to its root cause. So join me by going to conqueringcancer.com slash Wendy Myers, M-Y-E-R-S, now to register for this free web class. It's so important. Again, that's conqueringcancer.com slash Wendy Myers. Make the change today. So Julia, welcome to the show. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to write your new book? Absolutely. So I am a neuropsychologist, which means I'm a clinical psychologist with specialized expertise in the brain. And my work really focuses on the intersection between our brain, our emotional pain, and our emotional power. So, you know, what I really am interested in is all of us have adversity in our life. And it's really about how do we use that adversity to empower ourselves. So I've worked in academic research for a long time. I, when I was getting my PhD and even after I got my PhD, really well published in the scientific literature. So really looking at how the brain processes stressful and traumatic experiences and then how we turn those painful things that have happened into our past into our empowerment. Yes. And we want to, I want to focus a little bit on relationships and how okay. we deal with adversity in our relationships and then a series on relationships. And um, so talk to us about, you know, what do couples misunderstand most about the role of their partner? Because, you know, we all have issues uh, in our relationships with our partner and all have adversity as well. And so uh, what is going on there? What are our expectations that, you know, may not be realistic about our partner? 
Oh, I mean, there's so many expectations about our partner that are unrealistic. So, you know, we all choose our partner, mostly unconsciously, to finish our unfinished childhood business. Anyone who, so my, my work, I do a lot of work um, with individuals, with couples, with parents, and then I do work in, in organizations, so with teams and with leaders. So in my work with couples, you know, what happens so frequently is we have a host of experiences in childhood. And hopefully for most of us, there were some good things about our childhood, but regardless of how great our childhoods were, there was also pain. And a lot of times that pain gets coded into the nervous system as these kind of really simple truths. So some examples of this would be, I can't get what I want, or people, people leave me, or no one listens to me, or no one sees me, or people don't validate me, or I'm only good for what I can do, right? So I'm sure some of these are going to resonate with your listeners because they're pretty universal. So the holy hope of the long-term romantic relationship is that you are my partner, you my partner, are able to finally heal these unhealed childhood wounds, this unfinished childhood business. Now, in the early stages of the couple, this is often true because we're so enamored. We feel the passion. You know, we're sort of like our, our body is sort of being coated in adrenaline and oxytocin and, and sort of these really kind of feel-good chemicals. But what happens and you, it's really about the dissonance for so many of us. It's like when the partner starts to see me not as perfect and when and my partner starts to not hear me, when my partner is not exactly what I want, when my partner stops, starts to not listen to me, I now have to contend with, oh my God, I thought you were the way out of this. So it's, it can be utterly devastating. And even those of us who have functional marriages, those moments when we hit pain in our romantic relationships are incredibly profound. And so the work really is, how do we take this pain and, and convert it into power? Yeah. And I, I love that because I think for so many couples, um, you know, they start, you know, we start, you start seeing the cracks in the veneer after the love chemicals wear off after, you know, 18, 24 months or even sooner for some couples. Um, but it's, you know, we all have like triggers, you know, we all have our patterns in relationships. And, you know, I think it's very easy to kind of look at the other person as having the problems and not looking at our own contribution. So how do we kind of change that, that narrative where we're just kind of you know, focusing blame on the other person, because essentially you chose that person, whether you like their behavior or not, whether you think they're a narcissist or they're or whatever, they're a doormat or whatever you kind of want to label them, you chose them and you continue to choose them. So you do have a role in uh, that partner that you have right in front of you and, you know, uh, in, in their treatment of you, essentially. So the first thing, I and I, I don't think you were saying this at all, but of course, like if we're in abusive relationships, the work there is always, if, it, if it's genuine abuse, it's, it's absolutely to leave. But what I want, you know, people to think about, and I think this work, it comes to us very honestly, meaning, you know, what I tell people a lot of times is forget my credentials, forget the fact that I'm a PhD, forget all of the, the research and just listen. Does the stuff really resonate? Like, does it feel like truth? So one of the things I often ask my couples, and even when I do individual coaching or therapy, is I say, has demanding that someone else change, demanding they change, insisting they change, blaming them for change, has it ever worked a single time in your life meaningfully? A single time. And I have yet to hear yes. 
to that question. So in other words, the very tool that we're trying to use to provoke the change that we desperately want doesn't deliver us the redemption we seek. What's that definition of an insanity again? Doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. So part of the reason I think that we should leave blame isn't because we should with kind of quotes around it. It's because why would I use a tool that wasn't working? And if like, let's say I'm trying to like, I don't know, screw a painting into my wall or something and I have a hammer and I'm just trying to screw the painting in, but I'm using a hammer. It's like, this is frustrating. It's not working. I'm not accomplished. So it's like, it gets very easy for me to put the hammer down when I'm even part of the reason I'm willing to do podcasts like these. And this is the, this is the reason I wrote Energy Rising, you know, is I um, sometimes will get approached to like be on talk shows or be on like the expert on a reality show. I could not say no fast enough. I like to say I'm a, I'm a Midwest academic who likes to go to two good parties a year. And then I like to spend the rest of the time alone in my office. <laughs> so um, the reason I wrote Energy Rising was because I, I feel like when we understand how the brain is wired to move us through our emotions and through our relationships, the entire world changes. And the entire world changes by understanding how we how we navigate our own our own relationships. If we don't understand how to navigate our experiences of fear, anxiety, overwhelm, agitation, frustration, we are going nowhere. Because I, I really want to make this point because I think it's so I think it's so holy. The only thing, the only thing that wrecks our lives. So when we look at our life, you know, one of the things I think in if I had one word to describe my work, the word would be either counterintuitive or opposite. So your brain is a pattern detector. Your brain is going apple, 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 fill in the blank. Well, it's got to be apple. So when we try to say, no, today it's not going to be an apple. It's going to be a pen or it's going to be a banana or it's going to be a papaya. I don't know why you'd want it to be a papaya. Papayas are terrible. But nonetheless, when I start to put not apple, it feels bad. Right? It feels very counterintuitive. It feels like the opposite of what it should be. So a lot of times we're out there in our lives and we're saying all these situations are wrecking my life. So the thing my partner did to me, the thing my partner didn't do to me, the thing on social media, the thing my boss did to me. So we're focusing on situation after situation after situation after situation. There is absolutely no power in the level of a situation for most of us most of the time. Okay, so then where is the power? Well, the power is in the emotional energy because the way the brain makes meaning out of your life is always and almost entirely through emotional circuits. So I, no one doesn't want a good relationship. No one doesn't want to not feel confident on social media or in their careers. So the question is, well, what knocks me out of my power? And the only thing the only thing, and part of the, I always say clarity is the foundation of all power. The only thing that knocks me out of connection in my relationship, that knocks me out of confidence, that knocks me out of innovation, that knocks me out of creativity is my trigger. So I actually think the trigger is the most misunderstood energy on the planet. And that's the key. It's your trigger. It's your responsibility, uh -huh. correct? And you have to deal with it internally. You know, you do. And I think I think, you know, people can be intimidated by this, but I actually think it's it's incredibly life giving, joyful, redemptive work when we do it intelligently.
Yes. And that's the beauty of being in a relationship is your triggers come up to the surface to be dealt with. And it, it's a, a beautiful thing. And so that's why I love being in a relationship because I want to I want to deal with all this stuff that comes up that's kind of like a mirror to me that helps me improve and helps me work through things that I, I don't want this baggage, you know, but it's just there. You have to deal with it at some point. You have to. Right. So it, it, the whole idea of like if we, you know, one of my favorite quotes is everywhere you go, there you are. So the only person we cannot outrun on this planet is ourselves. So at some point, you know, if we if we're kind of we take honest inventory, and again, I think to do this work, we have to be incredibly merciful. We have to be gentle. And the second we bring shame into it, it just shuts down the nervous system. Like, I don't know, like a the door just kind of slams on it. So this idea of like, let me kind of look across my life and see like what are the common denominators? Okay, I all I, I I pretty regularly feel like people aren't listening to me. I've been in a lot of relationships and each relationship, I feel like the person's not paying me enough attention or the person's too suffocating for me. So, you know, one of the things that's, I think, especially unique about the adult long-term romantic relationship is I always say the parent-child relationship is the most powerful relationship on the planet. This is just because of the neurobiology of it. But the the most complex relationship on the planet is the the long-term adult relationship. And that's because exactly as you said, nothing, there's no more complex relationship. There's no one who we expect more from on the planet. And there's no more, there's no relationship that requires the other person to be as many roles, especially in our marriages, right? We're asking our partners to be our lover, our co-parent, our financial advisor, our business partner, our, our housekeeper. And so there's just so much room for, this might surprise people, I actually think the scourge of, of long-term romantic relationships is confusion. <laughs> well, so, and how do we deal with our triggers? So, you know, we all get triggered and I think we have to learn to figure out what those are. Like every time you're getting angry or anxious or having any sort of like emotion that you don't want in the presence of your partner, something that they're doing that just, oh, just irritates you. Uh, what is it that we, uh, like, uh, how do we stop getting triggered? I mean, we've got to identify them, but how do we kind of deal with that within ourselves and stop getting triggered by our partners? Yeah. So I think once you're actively triggered, the only thing you can do is kind of wait for the storm to pass, right? When the nervous system hits that kind of inflection point of that much arousal, I think the best we can do is breathe. And I, I have a saying, I'll tell people, just don't bite down. So like, you know, that feeling like someone says something to you and you just like, you can like feel like the words come and you just kind of want to snap back. So this, this idea of just like, let me just relax, relax my face, breathe, relax my jaw, don't bite down. The work of our triggers, the really, the really transformative redemptive work of the triggers really is before the storm. And I think the, the idea here is, first of all, what are they? And if you're saying, if anytime you start to say my trigger is about when you do that's fine that's, a, that's an okay place to start so my trigger is like you don't sit down with me and watch netflix with me or you're you know you don't do the dishes or you don't i mean we could go on and on you make me take care of the dog all the time so what what is the feeling behind that well the feeling is my insignificance the feeling is my not being validated the feeling is my aloneness okay so I, you, I think, again, clarity is the foundation of all power. you got to simplify this. So my, the sensation is I'm alone. Well, 
what happens because because triggers are are these ancient injuries they're activated by our long-term relationships but they're they're not entirely caused by them okay so the idea then that i could i could only heal something in that moment that really is an ancient injury it's it often becomes like we're arguing with ghosts yeah yeah so i think it's so important to just not look at your partner and just want to oh it's all you you're causing this for me like I, I for me i'm so much about trying to take personal responsibility for what's going on inside of me and not kind of trying to blame it on the other person or that's a convenient hook to hang on i think it's it's a very important distinction for people to make that you are you're fighting with a a ghost from your past and so the issue is, and i've seen this happen quite a bit is a lot of times we'll say to our partner um all right so let's say i am working with a couple and they'll say the problem is you never make dates for us. You don't you don't put any time in, into romance. And so let's say the partner says, all right, I hear you. I'm going to do it. Nine times out of 10, let's say that the partner does dates three times, five times. What I hear the, the other partner come back and say is it didn't really scratch the itch. And like, I'm not saying it didn't make it a little bit better. And I didn't I didn't appreciate going out on the date or going out for drinks or somebody, you know, him hiring a sitter. But but and I start to realize there's something exactly to your point. There's something a lot deeper here. And I start to have this this kind of it can be this almost sort of restless or frustrating sense of like, I thought that was going to be the thing. How and then I, I can feel almost like, oh, that's not the thing. Shoot. What's the thing? I don't know what the thing is. So a lot of times I think this is a really, really key piece of the puzzle that I'm going to say here is when couples come to me. They're sitting on my couch and I'll say, okay, what's going on? And unequivocally, this is always the universal cry, is one person goes, you don't love me. And the other person goes, no, you don't love me. One person goes, you don't respect me. No, you don't respect me. You don't validate me. No, you don't validate me. So I say, this is very important. This, of course, we must deal with this. Before we deal with this, though, because we want our partners to show this, this idea of unconditional love, right? Whether it exists or not, I think that should be debated and discussed. But okay, we're all after this. Let's call it radical love, radical acceptance, radical attunement. Great. It's a good goal to have. So I say we're going to get there in one second. I just have one question first. Can you list for me all the evidence, all the ways that you show yourself radical love? How do you show yourself radical respect? How do you show yourself radical attunement? And almost without fail, that question, there is no answer to the question. People are almost confused. Wait, no, 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 that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about how I need my partner to love me more. The idea that someone could love me into a healed relationship with myself is patently false. It cannot happen. It's like I, a lot of times I'll talk about in my work and I talk about this in energy rising. There's an emotional math to our life. Sometimes I'll call it an emotional physics. We can't get the math on that to work. So now watch this. So I'll say, well, you know, the problem here is like this person doesn't do the dishes. Okay. So if they did the dishes, that would be a living form of evidence that they they respected you. Yes. Great. I'm not denying that. I think I think when we live with people, especially, we have to learn how to be good, good partners in cohabitation together. But if I can identify in my partner a, a very explicit activity that if you did this, if you scheduled the day, if you do the dishes, that shows me radical love, how could I not turn that question on myself and not have an equally concrete answer? In other words, the way I meditate every night, 
the way I, I, I don't just like rush out to Pilates. I really get myself, I, I talk a lot about energy. When I talk about energy, I'm not talking metaphysically. I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm saying the brain as, as a neuropsychologist, as someone who's done a lot of neuroscience, emotions are a, a neuroelectrical energy. Your brain is an electrical machine. So when I, if I'm going to Pilates, I'm not just like rushing out the door, grabbing my coffee. I'm really thinking to myself, look at this beautiful cup of tea. And I'm, I'm smelling the tea and I'm thinking about the way the tea is going to nourish my body. When I go to, when I go to Pilates, I'm, I'm genuinely working to put myself in the attitude, in the energy of gratitude, right? Like this is such a, this is such a way to, of showing self-reverence. This is such a beautiful thing. Like I'm so grateful for my legs. I'm so grateful for the way my heart beats. I really cultivate this profound intimacy, this living intimacy with myself. When when that relationship changes, the whole world looks different. And people treat you different. Your partner treats you differently. Yeah, I mean, I think the world responds. Like, first of all, it's, again, going back to this idea of emotional physics. I If I change in my relationship, it is it is physically impossible for the relationships to stay the same. Right. So you can imagine a relationship is like, you know, people on two ends of an energetic string or an energetic seesaw. If I go up in my energetic value, my my self-love, let's call it, well, as my weight changes, of course, it's going to change the structure and, and the function of the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I am thrilled to announce my new docu-series come out called Heavy. And it's, you can learn more about it at theheavymovie.com and sign up for free. It's a totally free event. And in this landmark series, I interviewed 100 experts on the subject of detoxification, on the subject of toxins, and how these inescapable toxins in our environment are causing our chronic health issues like brain fog, dementia, chronic fatigue, mitochondrial dysfunction, obesity, resistant weight loss, even diabetes, our diabetes epidemic is caused by toxins. It's not just the food that you're eating. And we also talk about, you know, how toxins interfere in digestion, how toxins are aging you. So many important topics are going to be covered on the Heavy docu-series. So again, go check it out at theheavymovie.com. Can we talk about some specific examples? So a very common trigger in relationships is jealousy. And can we speak a, a little bit about that and how people can overcome jealousy? I think that can come from, you know, a parent being absent or a parent being just kind of emotionally absent, being neglectful or even being abusive or, or what have you. Um, how, how do you uh, kind of, you know, guide people to overcome jealousy? I think jealousy. So first of all, I think each of the emotions has their own energetic signal. And I think we don't pay enough attention to emotions in general, and especially difficult emotions. Understandably, difficult emotions, we want to get out of them as quickly as possible. So I think this explains why we have an underdeveloped intelligence about a lot of these difficult emotions. But I think each emotion is is an energetic signal. You know, I, I'll just zoom out for a second and say, the way I tell people to think about their emotions is emotions are the Google Maps of your life. They are these sacred neuroelectrical signals that are guiding your body, your behavior, your thoughts through your nervous system and saying, at the next intersection, please turn right and immediately depart from this relationship. <laughs> at the next intersection, 
please turn right and immediately find a new job because this is a very toxic environment for you to be in. And then what do we do? We just disregard. And, you know, the, the, the emotions for a while are like, make a U-turn. In 500 feet, make a U-turn. And we're just like out there totally disregarding this profound intelligence that's evolved through millions and millions of years to guide our behavior in intelligent ways, okay? So when jealousy flares up, I think what happens is I call it a pain sandwich. We're jealous, and then we feel embarrassed or ashamed that we're jealous. So then it's like, and then we feel kind of humiliated that because we're probably jealous of someone who we think is better. So it's a mess. You can't get out of it like this. So what, je- the, the, what the frequency of jealousy is really about, and I think it's such a beautiful thing, actually. I like to turn it on its head. Again, a lot of my work is about the counterintuitive. Jealousy is the sense of, that is so cool what you have. I wish I could have it too. So if someone in my, I'll, I'll start in the office and then I'm happy to take it to the romantic relationship. Someone in my office gets a promotion or someone has tremendous success with a project that they're doing or they launch a successful business. And I'm like, oh gosh, what I'm really saying is there's something about that that I recognize in me. Have you ever watched, like, like I am, you know, like this five foot one woman. So like I, when I watch, you know, I come from a big sports family. I can really appreciate at like professional athletes, but never once have I been jealous that I'm not an NFL player. But I have profound, like, I'm like, wow, that's amazing to have that capability. When we're jealous of something, what it's really saying is we, we recognize that we have that capability. You see, it's this emotional intelligence that's calling us home. So I start to say, oh God, someone someone ha- built this beautiful business or uh, you know runs their house a certain way or takes care of their health. Like I could, I want that and I respect that and I could do that too. We have got to we have got to get out of this thing of like making jealousy some form of like moral indictment. It's actually, and this this is the premise of Energy Rising, and I think it's so beautiful, and this is the reason I was willing to do it. All of these horrible feelings that we try to spend our entire lives getting away from, stress, rage, jealousy, inadequacy, shame, humiliation, are not here to torment you. They are here to lead you home. And if we don't understand that jealousy, fear, shame is not a punishment, it is a rite of passage, we will stay because emotions are timeless. So, and I mean this quite neurologically. So emotions in your brain don't res- aren't processed in the same parts of the brain that processes linear time. This is why, for example, you can think of something that happened to you when you were 15 years old, either something really good or really bad, and it's almost like time disappears. I guarantee you have a memory like this that you can just access and you're like, it's like no time has passed at all, for better or for worse. And yet we can't think about what we had for, I don't know, lunch four days ago. It's because when we encode emotional memories, those memories are encoded different than non-emotional memories. So my point here is just like the things we want, the things we feel, we could, if we don't evolve the emotional experiences, we're going to stay stuck in our life. And I think the thing human beings want more than anything is progress, growth, evolution. Yeah, and that makes so much sense. And I always felt like a lot of, and even a lot of emotions that people have are, you know, encoded evolutionary-wise, like a survival mechanisms as well, like abandonment, 
loneliness, jealousy, you know, if you're a woman and your man who you have two small children with went out and found another woman that he liked better than you, you and your children starve. And so there's this evolutionary thing like with jealousy, perhaps to it's a survival uh, instinct as well. It's not just, oh, you know, daddy wasn't at home or, you know, you can have like these parental, um, like the parental attachment issues as well as well that can cause jealousy or other emotions or fear of abandonment. But I think some of them can be evolutionary um, as well. There can even be survival instincts. Sure. I think though, you know, I, I would also, I would get really clear about what I was jealous of. So first of all, I would, I would add, if, if my husband of two small children went off with another woman, I wouldn't just say that's just jealousy alone. It's also betrayal, right? It's kind of this traumatic betrayal. So what I, what what am I really jealous of? So first of all, I think my biggest emotion that I'm sitting with is I'm traumatized and I'm traumatized because of betrayal trauma. The second thing is like, am I really, is there really something there that I want? And what am I saying I want? So if my husband went off with this other woman and was also cheating on her, I, I probably, that wouldn't be what I wanted. But what am I really saying I want? I'm saying, again, I'm not saying I want a certain person. I'm not saying I want a certain situation. I'm saying I want a certain emotional experience. I want to be in a relationship with someone who is safe, who I feel like is attuned to me, someone that I can trust. So we got to get clear because I think what happens a lot of time is when we don't understand, especially our difficult emotions, we focus them on an outcome that even if we were to get that outcome, that outcome would continue to make us sick. Let's talk about that. Let's explore that because, you know, that's what a lot of people are looking for in their relationships is safety. They want to feel like they've come home. They want peace. And so safety is is vital for us. Uh, but when does too much psychological safety become problematic? I don't know if true safety ever becomes problematic. I think what happens is we start to get obsessed with certainty. So we confuse, we start to say like, I need to know where you're at at all times. I need constant checking. I need constant reassurance. So most fundamentally, my expertise is in, if I were to say it academically, it's in in the brain and its relationship to internalizing psychopathologies and a big big internalizing psychopathology is anxiety. So you have OCD, PTSD, social anxiety, panic, phobia. So the best definition I can give you for anxiety, and this this pe- blows people's minds, again, very counterintuitive, the best definition for anxiety is a disturbed relationship with certainty. So the more I aggressively, pathologically seek certainty, and certainty, again, is like constant checking, obsessing, compulsing, constant need for reassurance. And, you know, I, I work with people like this, and it's a miserable experience for them. So not only are they, it's like, okay, it's not just like, all right, I, I wish I could stop this. It's so great for me, but it's really bothering my partner. They're, they feel miserable, which is why every you know five minutes or they're sending texts like constantly throughout the day, or I need to check your phone or give me your passwords, or I'm tracking you on, what do you call that thing where you track people you know on their phones? It's a, it's a very punishing experience for everyone involved. The reason is because if I don't understand in, in neuroscience, we have a construct that we actually call uncertainty tolerance. So the, you know, people have different native abilities to tolerate uncertainty and uncertainty tolerance is a learned skill. But in order to be resilient, resilience isn't about how do I guarantee, resilience is about how do I trust and the absence of a world and the absence, no one, 
anyone who tells you they're positive their partner will never leave them, die on them, cheat on them is not, it's not true. I have a caseload full of people whose husbands or spouse or wives or whatever went to work one day or, you know, and, and didn't come home because they, they died, for example. So life is low. So the idea that we would be obsessed with certainty in a world that refuses to give it to us, actually very counterintuitive, but that is a very, very dangerous place to be. So to your question is like, how, when does this idea of safety actually become a little bit, to use your word, dangerous? It's like when we start saying, in order for me to hold my own emotional posture, in order for me to get through my day, in order for me, I need you to make it okay for me. Now, that's different than like my partner makes my life easier. Sometimes it's nice to have a best friend to call and lean on. But we've got to be able to say to ourselves, if we want true resilience, if we want true emotional power, that I I had the resources, the the optimism, the integrity, the courage to do things even when even when they feel tough. I just I just ran a uh, I wrote an essay in the Wall Street Journal, which ran over New Year's. So it was a New Year's essay in the Wall Street Journal. And one of the big pieces that I wrote in there is we got to understand the difference between true danger and dislike. Just because I don't like the way something feels in my body, in other words, I'm a little bit anxious or I'm a little bit stressed or I'm a little bit overwhelmed, does not mean it's actually dangerous. And if we if we can't introspect or, or get the help we need to figure out that difference, we'll constantly feel like it's dangerous, then we'll be frozen and stuck in our own life. And to be stuck chronically, I think is is, is spiritual death. Yeah, it is really, really miserable when you have all of these anxious feelings and you're expecting your partner to alleviate them or reassure you, and they have to do all these different behaviors, X, Y, and Z, in order for you to feel okay. I mean, it's just like you're signing up for a losing battle. And so how do we get out of that? How do we kind of uh, kind of have awareness uh, of this and our triggers and our own, you know, the things that we need to take responsibility for and kind of get out of this having to, our brain compulsively seeking uh, certainty and, you know, creating more flexibility in our relationships? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, there's a million ways I can answer this. Energy rising, I think what it does really well is gives a lot of very concrete examples, exercise case studies. So it's the new year. So I'll, I'll give this is one example and I'm happy to go into others as well. In order to really get this, you, I would encourage your listeners to just like say, see if this makes sense. Like, does it make sense that there is no goal in my life that matters at all if I don't have the feeling? In other words, if I have a marriage, but I feel constantly anxious, or I have a million dollars, but I constantly feel stressed out, or I have a successful business, but I'm constantly overwhelmed. In other words, the goal means nothing without the feeling because the way the human nervous system works is that meaning is infused by emotional energy, okay? So if that makes sense, this next piece will then logically follow. So, and, and, and we've all had situations in our life where one person, two people are in a marriage, one person loves the marriage, and one person can't wait to get out of the marriage. So there's no situation that even means anything outside of the emotions that we ascribe to it, okay? So in the new year, I think people like to do stuff like this. So it's this idea of pick what I call an energetic intention. So ask yourself, you know, in my relationship, what is 
though and I would I would not just look at my relationship with my partner I would say kind of across my life my relationship with myself I would pick like the top six six domains so my marriage my kids my job my finances my my mental health my physical health I'm making these up so I would take inventory of the domains in my life and I would say across all those domains what's honestly my top intention so maybe it's connection or freedom or spaciousness or honor or trust okay and then I would ask myself, you know, this conversation that I'm having with you is about emotional power. It's about who do we become in the resistance? Who do we become on the days when people won't make it easy for us, right? Because on the days when I've, I've, everyone's making it easy for us, those are great. I hope we all have plenty of them. But we have to also understand that we're, we're the leaders of our own lives. So if I say, okay, my number one energetic intention for 2024 is trust. Or let's say it's joy. I'm going to go with joy. I'm feeling in a joyful mood today. So I would say what happens is people will say, I want this. But they say, I want it until dot, dot, dot. I want joy until my husband walks in and he's in a bad mood. I want joy until dot, dot, dot. My kids won't listen. I want joy until dot, dot, dot. The people on social media don't do anything that piss me off. I want joy. So we're, we're living in this very conditional state of this emotional energy that we're saying we want in our life. What we have got to do if we want change is to say joy no matter what. So people are like, you're miss, you're, this is impossible. It's not impossible, but you have to understand that in order to receive an energetic experience in our bodies like joy, like trust, like freedom, like anything, we have got to prepare our nervous systems for it. And in the prep, this is another, this is probably the most massively counterintuitive thing on the planet. In the preparation of our nervous systems for the, for the feelings we want to experience, intimacy, courage, joy, freedom, it will trigger pain. So for example, if I, at the, especially like any skill, like any skill that when we first start out, it's going to be wobblier than by, if I continue to practice this until July and I'm still doing it in 2025 and then I'm doing it in 2029. My husband walks in the door and he's in a bad mood. And I say, what do I need to do no matter what to choose joy right now? What I need to do right now is get in my car, put on some good music, go to Dunkin' Donuts, get nice coffee and come back home. What I need to do right now is go upstairs in my office and work. What I need to do right now is scoop up. Now, the first few times I do this, I'm going to be shaking in the process of going to Dunkin' Donuts. Like I'm going to be, you know, ruminating about my husband and why he was in a bad mood and why does he go. But I'm still really committing to this, this energetic intention of joy. If you do this enough, your entire reality shifts. I've seen it happen so many times. But the second we say, I'm going to choose because we think we're choosing the, you, you can't come in here in a bad mood. We're actually choosing another emotional experience, which is fear, which is frustration. So it really becomes this simple battle when you distill it down. It's not easy, but it is simple. Do I choose joy or do I choose fear? Do I choose freedom or do I choose shame? Because all of my reality is, is originating from this emotional energy. It's very clear. I think it's very, I, I would say clarity is the foundation of all power. 
Yes, absolutely. And I think like this year, it's the time for you to take control of your emotions, take responsibility for how you show up, for take responsibility for your joy. No one else has to affect it. No outside uh, person, a situation, job. You can take responsibility for yourself emotionally. And so why don't you tell us, why don't you outline some of the things in your book, like some of the chapters and some of the, the takeaways that you think are really important for the listeners to hear? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. So I, I, I just want to reiterate, like the the premise of the book, just because I, I do, I, I come, I, I feel it too. It's so counterintuitive. We all wish it was different. I think one of the great existential questions is like, why is there pain? Everything from traumatic pain to just everyday hurt feelings, right? It's like, why? Well, I don't know. Like, we're, we're gonna have to have that conversation with God or whatever, or whatever, right? Nobody knows. So, it's this idea though that the feelings you keep avoiding. So in those moments when I when I when I bite down and I, I have the fight because I think the fight like will somehow the only reason I'm fighting is not because I like fighting. It's because I think that through the fight, I will get some resolution that will bring me to safety. So when I don't fight, I feel anxious. When I don't when I don't go back and forth, when I don't gossip, when I don't in other words, these feelings that it's really evoking, anxiety, fear, stress, overwhelm, inadequacy, loneliness, these feelings feel oppressive. I completely understand this. But the thing is, we have got to understand the difference between chronic pain and acute pain. So if I say, for example, in couples therapy, we say the couple has the same fight for 50 years. This is true. It's just the brain is a pattern detector and we're just out there overplaying our patterns over and over and over. So if I had this fight for the gazillionth time, it has not yet yielded the return I want, but I'm going to do it again. The, the, the kind of the holy hallucination, if you will, is this idea that having this fight will somehow get the return I want, but it doesn't. And it goes on for years and years and years and years. But if I can come into a new relationship with my acute pain, my stress, my anxiety, my fear, my embarrassment, whatever, and say, I'm going to meet this in a different way. What starts to happen is when I show myself, wait a second, I have the competence to not have this fight. I can trust myself enough to say, this doesn't feel good for me. I'm not going to have this conversation again. I can, even though it's hard at first, I can get through the, the feelings of anxiety and uncertainty when I don't ask for reassurance for the fifth time today. What starts to happen is my nervous system, paradoxically enough, really starts to calm down. I start to feel more peace, more confidence, more empowerment, more just more stability. And the power play is the person that is producing the confidence and the stability and the peace isn't all y'all out there, it's me. And that feeling of profound self-trust, not that it's gonna be okay, not that it's it's gonna be okay because no matter what happens, I'm gonna help, I'm gonna make it okay. I have the resourcefulness, I have different friends, I have different skills, there's lots of people on the planet, like there's therapists, there's podcasts. We 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 come into a new relationship with our own resourcefulness, and there's a tremendous amount of freedom there. Yeah. And it's so important because the most successful people in relationships or business or what have you, they have mastered emotional regulation and, oh God, and yeah. taking responsibility for themselves. This is an essential skill. And it's even 
the most classic books on emotional IQ and, you know, the most successful people have emotional intelligence and emotional regulation. So this is not just to benefit your relationships, but uh, just to experience more happiness and joy and less less emotional baggage in your life. and Across and your life, yeah. So energy rising is broken down into eight. I call them eight neuroenergetic codes. And each is like a blueprint for how to master your emotional energy and your relationships. The first five are really about your relationship with your own brain and your own nervous system. Um, and then, you know, it's like how to build, you know, the brain is a pattern detector. So one of the codes is called, for example, build your power pattern. So how do we really kind of calibrate our brains to build this very efficient pattern that leads us to more empowerment? And then the last three codes are about our relationship with others. So it's kind of this great roadmap. Um, I, I think it really is a is a extraordinary resource for people who are interested in emotion and relationships. Yeah, because if you kind of like, it's so easy for us to give our power away to other people and kind of Correct. blame them for our emotions. And it's just like the most fundamental thing that people need clarity on, I think, that we need to remind ourselves of so much is if you give your, your say, this person's responsible for my my bad mood or my jealousy or you're triggered by different things, then you're saying you don't have the power, the control to fix that. It belongs to this other person. And it's just fundamentally right. wrong thinking. It's rooted in the external environment. And then even when they agree, I still have this sense of, oh my God, the other shoe's going to drop because they agreed with me on Tuesday, but tomorrow it's going to be Wednesday. And then what then? Whereas if I'm like, I'm okay on Tuesday, I'm probably also going to be okay on Wednesday. You know, to, to your point that you just raised, the fifth code in Energy Rising is called the source code. And it really, I think, does a beautiful job of, in, in a, in a non-judgmental way, evaluating a lot of the lessons we got in early childhood. So our, our parent-child relationship, our own childhood, is the source code. In other words, it set the, the pattern, it set kind of the coding, it set the parameters for how we understand the world. It's astounding what happens to the brain in, in early development. In year zero through three, uh, more than a million neural connections are being made every single second. And what we don't have at this period of life is linear language. So a lot of times people will say, I don't remember. Well, what, what they really mean is I don't have a verbal memory store because the, the language centers weren't available yet. But the brain has many memory systems, somatic memory, procedural memory, you know, so this idea that so we're learning from the second we're born about the most important lessons in life. What does power mean? What does love mean? Who comes to me when I'm in need? Who ignores me? How do I get attention? What's safe? What's not safe? So then we carry these codes. Here's the ghosts. We carry these codes into our adult relationships. We carry it into you know our interactions on social media. We certainly carry it into our homes and our jobs. So a lot of times we get tangled and I talk a lot about leadership. And I don't mean leadership like I'm running a 14,000 person company. I mean, I mean it in a very agnostic way. We're all leading our lives. If we're doing it in an extraordinary way or a mediocre way, that's a, that's a different question, but we're all leading our lives. So a lot, the most formative leadership lessons of our lives came from our parents. And so there's some really, I think, amazing examples, case studies in that code that sort of tell people how to work with their own source code to transform some of the patterns they don't think are serving them in 2024. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Julia, thank you so much for joining us on the Myers Talks podcast. It was so good. I love talking to you. 
Such Thank a good you. interview. So insightful. And so tell us where can we get your book and tell us about your website as well, where we can learn more about your work. Yeah. So I, I'm, Tom, I'm on this planet. If I had a million lifetimes to live, I would live it on this altar of human pain and human power. So I'm happy to connect. My book is called Energy Rising. It came out this September. You can get it anywhere you find your books. And I would love to connect with people. My website is Dr. Julia Deganji. That's D-R. And then Deganji is D-I-G-A-N-G-I. And then I'm on all the social media at Dr. Julia Deganji, except Facebook. Facebook, I'm just Julia Deganji. Okay, fantastic. Well, Julia, thanks so much for joining us on the show. And everyone, thanks so much again for tuning into the Myers Talks podcast, where I bring experts from around the world, talk about all kinds of different topics, including emotionally detox, emotional detox and emotionally detox your relationships and yourself too. Uh, so thanks so much for tuning in and I'll talk to you next week. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician. Thank mm-hmm. you.